0: welcome to episode five of can i borrow your mind with lewis garnham which is me thank you for listening um this week i spoke to dane de leon dane is a spokesperson for refugee solidarity miangin they're uh, an activist group based in brisbane and at the moment um i don't know if you've probably heard about this but um in Kangaroo Point in Brisbane, the, the Kangaroo Point Central Motel has sort of been turned into a detention center. Um, so there's, there's 120 refugees inside this motel. It's, it's, it's pretty much a prison. The, the government calls it an alternative place of detention. Um, these, are, these are people who were on Nauru and Manus Island and then they were sent to Australia for medical treatment. Um, and now they're just sort of in limbo. They're just in this motel. They can't leave at all. Um, and RSM, the organization of which Dane is a spokesperson, they they sort of, they, they realized this and they started going to this motel um, and sort of camping out on the street, out the front. Um, and they sort of set up like a blockade so that the, the men inside can talk to them from their balconies. Um, I think... The, the, the best thing about it, I think, is that yeah, that the refugees inside the motel can see that there's this big group of people. There's people there the whole time. It's a blockade, so they're set up, they've got supplies, and they just stand out the front of the prison. And I guess for the people inside, it would just be like, oh, fuck, we're not invisible like there's someone or there's people that care about us um and then that that's just one aspect of what rsm do they they're doing a whole bunch of like direct actions and their goal is ultimately to have these people released um which is a a pretty a fair goal i think they're they're being illegally detained um and it's a yeah it's a violation of human rights and it's 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 quite insane like some of these people have been in detention for eight years um it's really yeah it's it's i feel like the refugee thing is one of those ones that like it comes back into the media in little waves and everyone like sort of in a in australia everyone like feels sick about it for a couple months and then i don't know for me like and then you sort of forget about it and it's not on the front page anymore and then and all the while these people are just still being locked up with no idea of when they might be released um it's, it's fucked. It's abhorrent. And so, yeah, I, I spoke to Dane about all this. Um, and it was really good talking to her because she's so passionate about the rights of these people. Um, and, yeah, we talked a lot about politics. We talked about the police. Um, talked about, yeah, a, a whole bunch of things. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's pretty glitchy, to be honest. Um, it's, yeah, Zoom, the, the connection wasn't great. Uh, so you might have to like, I feel like when I'm talking, it might be a bit louder. And then when she speaks, um, it might be softer. And you might if, yeah, if it's annoying, I apologize. And I think there's a baby crying towards the end at Dane's house. Um, and you can hear that in your headphones. And yeah, I'm sorry about that. Hey, the cases in Melbourne, the COVID cases are going down significantly. So I'm hoping that, in the near future I'm going to be able to start doing face-to-face interviews I've got this fucking six hundred dollar microphone recording equipment like set up and I haven't really been able to use it because I've just been doing everything on zoom um once I'm able to do face-to-face interviews it's going to be really great the audio quality is going to sound great so stick with me um and we'll get to that point soon for now like yeah just make make do with zoom i suppose um so yeah i hope you enjoy this episode i recorded this from the lands of the kulin nation i pay my respects to the wurundjeri and the bunurong people their elders past present and emerging and recognize that sovereignty was never ceded in this country Um, the intro music for this podcast as always is done by a band called Silt you can look them up Um, they're a great band I think on Instagram it's Silt S-I-L-T underscore music Uh, so yeah follow them Uh, I, I think that's all I'm going to say, oh, I forgot to ask Dane for her artist recommendation. At the end of each podcast, I asked my guest to recommend someone in the arts. Um, I forgot to do that, but then I texted her after and she gave me that recommendation. So I'll, I'll tell you what it is at the end of the podcast. Uh, yeah, cool. Rate it, subscribe, give it a five-star rating. If, if you can, that'd be sick. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll chat to you next week. Uh, yeah, this is episode five of Can I Borrow Your Mind with this week's guest, Dane DeLeon. So I I want to talk like specifically about the blockade and about the KP one twenty, but first I like um sort of getting like an origin story a little bit of guests. Um, And so I suppose for you, like obviously you're very passionate about human rights and I was wondering when that started to emerge as a focus in your life when your politics started coming out. Was that as a kid or was it later in life and how did that sort of happen?
1: Yeah, I think I guess as like an immigrant and woman of color, you're just politicized inherently anyway and Mm -hmm. so it's natural it didn't come not really like my politics or activism it's just existing and having this idea of the world that you want and then just working towards it it's more a survival thing um for the kp blockade it was actually through social media a few of the guys inside um just following me on instagram or messaged me on facebook uh, told me what was happening and Yeah, within a few days, we were already down outside. We just didn't know, you know, that there was a prison in the middle of our city.
0: Yeah, I feel like I didn't really know much about it until I started looking at what was going on in Brisbane. Um, But I feel like it sort of flew under the radar. And that, in terms of being politicised, that, um, yeah, I think that's such a good point. I saw a really good tweet during, like, when the Black Lives Matter movement was like really exploding a few months ago um obviously it's ongoing but when it was like really uh super hot topic and it was like a tweet that was something like for people of color being politically active isn't a choice like for white people it's more like you can decide whether to be invested in these things whereas for people of color it's like you can't yeah, not
1: yeah yeah like for white people you can just like you know, after the rallies or the blockade, hey, you just go home and then, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> you're saying.
0: Exactly. Because,
1: like, with a lot of the, like, racism and, you know, all that stuff afterwards.
0: Totally. Um, so do you mind explaining to me just, um, just in... Uh, it's you know, it's a bit of a, a basic kind of question, but just for anyone who's not aware of what's going on at the moment in Brisbane at Kangaroo Point, could you just tell me who the KP 120 are?
1: Yeah, so the KP 120 are uh, the men that were originally offshore in Manus State and are in PNG. And they were sent here under the Medivac legislation. So a lot of doctors, thousands of doctors really pushed for this saying that uh, these men who originally tried to go to Australia to seek asylum and safety, but were sent offshore, they're sick and they need medical treatment. So they need to be here on shore. The Medivac legislation has since been repealed. So a lot of them are in limbo. They have no uh, release date, no plans. What's happening uh, in the future? And so they've been placed in these alternative places of detention, which is the Kangaroo Point A Pod. So basically, the Kangaroo Point Central Hotel and ap- apartments. You know, consented to using their space as a prison. Essentially, yeah. And they're there. Uh, the reason we found out about it was because during COVID, they had to move spaces and they had access to the balcony. And that's when they started their daily peaceful protests. They started bringing out their signs and their placards. And by the end of the week, we were already down uh, outside. Because during the pandemic, we were in a lockdown. Um, the only thing you were allowed to do was exercise outside. So we, we just did loops around the block.
0: Really? <laughs> Like, that was, yeah. like, your exercise.
1: Yeah. That's brilliant. And the, the cops were so hectic. Like, if you weren't walking fast enough, they would be like, that's not exercise. And really? you're out on COVID laws. Yeah. And you have to oh, We're like, my God. doing star jumps because <laughs> the cops were so hectic.
2: And like, yeah. Amazing. <laughs>
0: and it's, so, it's such a double standard because, like, You know, here in Melbourne, we're in stage four lockdown, and it and it, you know, there there was a a period where it was we were getting a lot of COVID cases. But if you were, say, if you were like a, you know, forty-year-old white man going for a walk in Turak, there's no way that police would be questioning you about the speed of your walking. No way.
1: We even, even when they said picnics are now allowed. So we're like, Oh, we can rest a little bit. And we put rugs outside the prison and sat down. And the cops literally asked me, she was like, if you're having a picnic, then where are your snacks? And just that level of <laughs> thing was the most bizarre experience.
0: Yeah. It's scary because I think COVID, um, like one of the re- things that really concerns me about it is the fact that the police are, uh, are able to use it as an excuse to exert more power than they would usually get away with.
1: Absolutely. Like I've been escorted home because they didn't believe I said I was going home. Or I know my friend said they were buying bread and milk and the cops made them prove where the bread and milk was.
2: Oh my God.
1: Really overexertion of police powers, even outside the prison, like they confiscated our milk crates and said it was stolen property. Fucking
0: hell.
1: <laughs> yeah, like 20 milk crates. And like, this is stolen. And we're like, sure. And <laughs> we had pallets. And they were like, we're going to come back and make sure those aren't stolen to the wooden pallets. <laughs> Bunnings wrote us a letter saying that they donated to Refugee Solidarity so we won't get in trouble for the pallets.
0: Oh, uh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, Bunnings has been showing up. Yeah, cops have just been bizarre. The other day, they, a few weeks ago, they arrested a minor. They were walking their bike without a helmet. Yeah. They weren't on the bike, but they still put them uh, in the van and took them to the watch house.
0: Oh my god! Yeah. Hey, I mean, I actually I I was I was sort of planning on talking about this later on in the podcast, but we're here now. Yeah want to I want to I, I wanna get your opinion on police as a general concept because like obviously this year more than usual everyone's been discussing you know the role of the police and whether whether there are any good police whether all police are bad um, all these sorts of questions are coming up uh, is the police even necessary in society these sorts of questions are coming up I think for the first time in my lifetime that I remember, which I think is really cool that everyone's discussing this. Um, what's your opinion on all that?
1: Yeah, I'm very ACAB. I don't <laughs> necessary. I have never felt safe in the presence of police.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't need them to you know, keep us safe. We don't need them. You know, like when you're at the prison, there's a, a refugee on the balcony screaming help the cops ignore them, you know? But cops are so happy to protect and serve the milk crates over (laughs) men who are locked up over human rights violations. And I think because policing is such a colonial concept and prisons are so colonial, punishment in that sense has never really been effective, right? Like, you know, you think about your family, when your family does something wrong, instead of shunning them and excluding them, you pull them in and you hold them accountable mm-hmm. and you tell them what's right. And it's coming from a place of just like radical love and care and community. And police is just inherently racist because it was introduced by racist systems.
0: Totally. So so basically, yeah, you're saying that it's it's it, it can't be separated from racism because it was brought in as a racial, a way of, a way of, um, I guess racially dividing people and stuff when colonialism began.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There is no, um, you know, these systems are responsible for killing indigenous people. And we've had, you know, this is not, I I guess, talking about whether cops are good or not has just been new because like in this, in mainstream media, because police, has always been, you know, here to protect and serve. But their overexertion of police powers, and now we have social media, mm-hmm. and we can show what they've been doing, um, mm-hmm. has really highlighted how the police are not here for us. They're very, I guess, from what I've experienced, just really protecting the state and property. There's, they protect property a lot. Like there's a lot of, like when I got arrested. Uh, I was just asking you know why I was being arrested and they told me that it was because my presence was causing anxiety and it was a six foot cop cop with a gun on his hip and tell me my presence and I am five foot I was like what are you talking about and they just because I'm so small people tried to de-arrest me and um, sit around me but they just picked me up and threw me in a van and there was
2: yeah
1: and they just wanted me to be away from the blockade. Like my bail conditions were I had to be 200 meters from kangaroo point until my court date. So it's really just trying to bring people away from the prison.
0: Exactly. And it's, yeah, that just shows that, I mean, like protect and serve is not really at all the issue because yeah, that their priority is, is stopping you guys from being able to do this blockade. That's what they really care about. Yeah. And I think like a thing that I've thought about lately a lot as well is like, um, I think there's a word for it. I'm not sure what it, what it's called, but I guess it's like in a way like retrospective policing or whatever where like their, their modus operandi is like, especially when it comes to Indigenous people and Indigenous youth, like arrest first, create the crime later, if that makes sense. Like I feel like I've seen it happen um where police have just approached groups of indigenous kids and then one of them ends up getting put in handcuffs. And it just feels to me like it's not really about preventing crime. It's just about putting people in prison and then, and then you figure out what the in quotation marks crime is later.
1: Yeah. And I think the idea of good cops or if there's any good cops, I think that comes from people saying there's nice cops and there's polite cops, Mm -hmm. but apparently your job is not good, you know? So you can be, I guess you can mean well and you can not be blatantly racist, but you are still upholding a system that's very racist.
0: Right, of course. Yeah, there's there's members of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club that aren't necessarily violent, but they're still part of the club. Another thing I wanted to ask you, because I don't really know much about this. Can you tell me a little bit about like, people, specific people and like the structures that are actually keeping, for example, the KP120 in in detention in, can, in Kangaroo Point at the moment. And I guess the people who are stopping refugees from being able to come into Australia, like obviously, I don't know, it, my understanding of it is just like Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison. But is there more to it than just the government? Is there like other structures that are actually... Does that make sense as a question?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when it comes down to it, it is the government. So it was the Labour government in 2013. Uh, It was Kevin Rudd who introduced that policy that said, if you come here by a boat, you'll never be resettled in Australia. And that was July 19... 2013 and a lot of the men the medevac men they were already on the boat they were in the ocean already when he passed that so they came a day or two after and sent them offshore i know one guy and he called his friend and he said i'm 15 minutes away on shore and they told him that the laws have changed and he had to be sent offshore. oh my god yeah. And so like they knew they pushed for it because they knew there was going to be boats uh, of people seeking asylum. And a lot of the guys at KP, you know, one guy, two, two men, uh, 15, they, went, they came on shore. And they're now 22, 23, and they're still in detention. So that's so the sad. whole
2: life.
1: Yeah, it is the government. Like, it's Peter Dutton, Alan Tudge, and Scott Morrison. Alan Tudge is the acting um, immigration officer at the moment. And to release them into the community detention, it's like the paper is right in front of them. They just need to Mm approve it. It's one way. There's nothing else they need to do. And I think Mm. like most people focus on Peter Dutton, which is true because he's like maniac. But Scott Morrison as well because then – you know, those laws were being passed in 2013, Scott Morrison was in Peter Dutton's role. So he, he's been quite, I don't know, he's been quite quiet about this, but like he's very, very complicit in this system. Yeah, when they are like, when the men get sent to hospital, we can't even visit them or anything because they said their next of kin is the Australian border force. And the Australian Border Force gives Serco, the security company, custody of them.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, so they have access to their records. We cannot see them in the hospital when they go.
0: So dehumanizing. I'm glad you mentioned the Labor Party. I reckon it's really important because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like people often forget that they were the ones that brought in this policy. Um. I think it's a really important thing to remember and I'm wondering nowadays um at this point in time is the Labour has the Labour Party's stance changed at all and do they in any way support refugees would you say or no
1: I think until they've actively, put, until the guys are free, I'm gonna assume that they're complicit in this. Yeah. I think we engage too much in like electoral politics, but this is a human rights issue. It's not even like a left or a right issue. Like
2: people oh, really?
1: denied freedom just because they fled their countries because they mm. were seeking safety. You know, no one leaves their hometown and no one leaves home and their family unless you really, really need to. Yeah, and it, there's that. I guess like the media and fear-mongering of it's just like silly shit that I don't know people I guess are also really caught up in their own lives and this was kind of one of my issues when people say you know like if we disrupt traffic right and people say I'm just like I don't have anything to do with this like I don't care about this and like that is the issue because when you do nothing about it you are upholding it Yep more people who just stay silent about it. The government will just assume that this is something that they can keep maintaining.
0: Totally. Yeah. I wonder, um, I feel like you've already in part answered this and I'm sure like this will be quite easy for you to answer this, but I'm going to pretend for a second that I'm like a conservatively minded person, right? I'm like a liberal party okay. voter. And this is what like, I feel like a liberal party voter might say as a way of justifying their position okay. Um, is that you need to keep refugees in detention because people smuggling as a, as an industry or a thing is really dangerous and inhumane. And you need to deter people from bringing people over in boats as a safety concern. What would you say to that, Dane?
1: <laughs> I think we would really just look at the root of the issue, why people even need to go to across the ocean to find any sense of safety instead of deterring people, uh, from these unsafe means and help them find safer means to find safety. If the issue is safety, which is great that people are so focused about safety. I think uh, we have enough resources to make sure that when people are unsafe in their countries, we can make sure that there are ways that they can come here that doesn't put anyone in danger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to, okay. All right. This is more of a philosophical kind of one. Um, but just like, yeah in in terms of i think you said it so well before that it's not an issue of left or right it is like it's it's humans who are unlawfully being detained like it's not it doesn't matter where you sit politically that's that's human lives that are being held there and so in regard to that i wonder like do you think that firstly why do you think that australians because i feel like australians are worse than most people in the world when it comes to this. I feel like where we have more blood on our hands than most countries. Where, where, and and as voters, you know, we continue voting in governments that 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 support this violation of human rights. And I wonder, what do you think it is about Australian people, about Australian society, that is? That, you know, why, how are we able to be this inhumane and to turn a blind eye to do this, to this stuff going on? I feel like other countries in the world wouldn't maybe turn as much of a blind eye as we do as Australians. Um, what, what, what's wrong with us?
1: What is wrong with us? <laughs> yeah, I think it really comes from a place of, um, like our borders are so insecure because it was acquired illegitimately and I think that's why the government is so hell bent on protecting it because it's not theirs and it's something that they stole. And we've never really collectively, that's not the, something we collectively acknowledge that it's still kind of, you know, it's like a respectability thing, right? When we do land acknowledgments and all that, but never really sit with the idea that we are just standing on stolen land yeah. and this country is built on so much violence, even the fact that, uh, you know, we don't get back in schools. They don't really teach about the colonial past. Like, you know, in Germany they get taught about their violent history and to be, I guess that that guilt and shame, guilt and shame has its place. And they're not negative when used correctly. And I think mm-hmm. we do need to like collectively have that um, guilt and shame to be able to transfer into rage and rebellion because right now everyone's just so comfortable because the government has done such a good job of just silencing everything and everybody like like donald trump uses our policies to shape um ice and what he does with uh border policies there like that's how horrible
0: it yeah, is yeah
1: yeah and there's just like so many weird people who talk about, you know, it, it's not legal. It's not illegal to seek asylum, right? But people keep saying that it is
2: illegal.
0: Yeah, I know. It's a. It's such a. We've we've been brainwashed, but and uh, yeah, I think that's so interesting that it stems from our colonial history because, like, you know, I I I have always thought of like the fact that Australia doesn't properly acknowledge the fact Mm -hmm. that we're on stolen land. And I've always thought of that in the context of indigenous Australians and how that prevents us from, um, you know, prevents us from doing good by indigenous peoples. But like what you're saying is that it's also the thing that prevents us from, you know, treating these, these people with humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah, because that strong othering, and I think
0: mm.
1: Australia doesn't have its own I guess, like I don't know, why it is Australian culture, right? Like, Lamingtons and Genocide, I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not like something that's sacred to them. I think no. I, I ask people who are like, like white people, like what's like the concept of sacred spaces or sacred uh, things is like very, very disassociated
0: definitely yeah 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 so yeah I think yeah I, I think we've got like an identity crisis in a way and we're projecting that
1: yeah like you're exposing yourself
0: yeah. <laughs> totally yeah I, I thought that a lot when um, I don't know why I always think about this but I think a lot about Adam Good's being booed for years and i just think that was such a telling moment in australian society someone once said to me racism is so deeply embedded in australian culture that it's almost invisible and i do feel like that sometimes it's like in america like rednecks have shotguns and they like use the n-word and they're they're boisterous and they're loud and you know things like that and then obviously there's more subtle racism and 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 people with money who are racist as well but I just feel like it's more overt in other countries, whereas here it's like this—it's um, like this disease that runs through all the, all the white Australians. If that makes sense, it's weird.
1: Yeah, and we firmly believe that they're not racist because land yeah. uh, member, but you know,
0: totally, totally
1: on the street when they see a black person or they like say something about Asians stealing jobs, but they totally. firmly. believe that they're not racist
0: yeah it's like yeah it's yeah Australian white Australians need to the first step is accepting that we are racist I think that's really important for us I think yeah I think I think we really need to do that as a country hey um obviously so at RSM um you guys do a lot of like direct actions and in trying to help the men inside kangaroo point and I wondered if you could just give a little bit of an explanation of um, direct action like in these movements as opposed to indirect action. For example, like signing a petition. Like I feel like a lot of people would not want the refugees to be in the situation they're in right now and they probably post about it on Instagram and sign petitions every now and then. Um, But I feel like, I'm not sure, but I assume that you think that what's needed is more direct action um and and or is that what you think and if so why why is that more important
1: yeah absolutely it's just well even in the kp context like we've been signing petitions for seven years they're still in there and how long how much longer can we wait like just direct action in general right i think you know in like I don't know when it was, 50s, 60s or something. Um, The women in the Regatta Hotel in Tuong were not allowed to drink. And the women talked to the minister and said, we want to change legislation. And the minister essentially just laughed at them. So they went to the bar, they asked for a drink, they got denied. So they locked themselves onto the, on the bar, really, they locked on. And that's direct action, right? And from there, part the conversation and the push Uh, for women to be able to drink in bars so like we look back at history and you know civil disobedience and we praise this and we praise these actions but when it's happening now people are like oh i don't want to disrupt the traffic people will get angry." (laughs) and you're like what do you think like martin luther king did like
2: totally
1: so quick to just when it's in the past really really praise and celebrate Mm it but like if we just kept signing petitions like we can do petitions maybe petitions to do direct action and then you show up we had a pledge one time i think a few ago the people signed and it was maybe 400 500 people who said they are willing to conduct civil disobedience um, and be arrested uh, for the men inside essentially and so from then rsm kind of we have our values and our principles of radical action and solidarity over charity, um, decentralized working groups. And essentially like what we do is you follow those principles and values. You can just show up with four friends and you can do whatever you want. like. There's some people who their limits and their boundaries, they like to do maybe banner drops around the city and that's what they're good at and that's what they do. So they do that. And then some people, I don't know, they say maybe let's like set Peter Dutton's house on fire. I'm just kidding. Or something like that. <laughs> but they're maybe. good at Yeah. <laughs> but if that's what they're good at and that's what they do, then you go for it. It's within our values, you know? Like we don't see violence against property as violence yeah Yeah. like responding responding to state violence is not violence it's self-defense
0: yep totally um you sound like you're a socialist are you would you would you describe yourself as a socialist
1: i don't know what i am i think i'm just (laughs) anti-colonial anti-racist communist hot girl i don't know (laughs) i
0: I think that's a great description yeah. A communist hot
1: girl.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Dane DeLeon. <laughs> <laughs> communist hot girl, anti-racist, anti-colonialism. That's great. I'll put that in the description for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. like so um yeah, that's great. So uh I think yeah that 's you're absolutely spot on we like we we um romanticize civil disobedience when we think of like you know the 1960s and and you know Rosa parks and stuff like this, but when it 's happening in our day-to-day life, people get scolded for it. How much of that do you think the media and the government is to blame for? Because I have a feeling that people wouldn't actually be that against civil disobedience if it wasn't for the fact that the Herald Sun and things like this are like, look at these protesters, you know, causing a ruckus, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think deep down, people don't give a shit about property being damaged and stuff like that. I think they're being brainwashed by like the media and and by the government i don't know what do you think do you think people really care as humans or do you think they're being swayed by the australian media
1: yeah well the australian media is so powerful because like you know murdoch media owns so much of it and controls. and Mm. rupert murdoch like i'm sure his ancestors owned slaves like he comes from a bloodline of uh, rape, like racist people and mm-hmm. I think you know it does something you know in your consciousness when that's all you're exposed to and maybe because you're too busy paying your bills and worrying about your family and working you don't have the time to step back and really think about what you're consuming and who you're listening to because like channel 7 is everywhere 9, 10 and yeah. you get to shift like public perception about the traffic right when we had that story bridge thing
0: actually actually can you explain the story bridge thing to me please the whole like the whole sort of debacle if like the whole thing yeah because i heard about it on the radio here but i didn't get enough of a sense of what actually was going on
1: yeah in one of our rallies we just said that until our first demand is um, we're going to do a mass sit-in at the story bridge and it just went, became the wildest thing. Like everybody was upset and angry, and people, even the cops, said, "This is about human rights." And I'm like, "Yeah, it is," Whoa. but he meant the rights to the go right
0: to, to cross a bridge. <laughs> hey, it's very important that people are allowed to cross bridges.
1: <laughs> yeah. and I think people forgot that like bridge to Brisbane is a thing where people do <laughs> like a big cross across the bridge for like. I don't know, a cancer uh, fundraiser or one time, I think it was a B105, they did like an Eat Street thing and you can have a market on the bridge. So it's, but people are acting, it's the first time anyone's ever gone on the bridge. Totally. It was just because it was about refugee rights. I don't think they'd say that if we we were saying, um, I don't know, there's going to be a football game on the bridge.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they'd love it.
1: yeah it was just and people were so mad and i remember i think it was a few weeks ago the um you know i was served at the supreme court at 9 p.m like the cops went to my parents house they find me so they served me they served me by text at 9 p.m to appear in the next day to the supreme court and i didn't have time to get a lawyer so i had to yeah like i've seen legally blonde i was (laughs)
0: yeah did you surely just put legally blonde on right before you went in did a bit of
1: homework (laughs) i don't have a law degree and i didn't have a lawyer and it's just having to say that i'm not an organizer which is true like i have no sole decision making power in refugee solidarity because we work just like autonomous groups. So no one is in charge, but the government is so oh. hell bent on like finding who's organizing this.
2: Totally. And
1: they wanted to set a precedent I think so like no one can go on the bridge ever. And which is like we won in the end, like my court um, orders were, I wasn't allowed to uh, go on the story bridge and on main street on the 15th of August, 2020. So just that one specific day and they made me write they said I had to write on my Facebook status that I think that the protest will interfere with public rights really? yeah, like it was in the court order that I need to write on my own Facebook so did
0: you post that? did you write that?
1: well yeah, but then I just put like emojis next to it I'm like, eh (laughs) (laughs) don't go
0: (laughs) fuck, that's so good that's so good
1: it's such a
0: weird level of policing, like yeah, who cares about on Facebook, it's just gonna be my friends and family, totally, yeah, it's so controlling, they're just yeah, so they're weird. so controlling, uh, oh, freaks me out um okay, uh, um, this is really important, um, the phones can you tell me what what's the latest on 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 the phones bill, and maybe also actually, I think it could be cool because you speak to a lot of the men in, in, in KP at I understand. Yeah. And so how important are mobile phones f- for these men and, and why, and why is it so important for their mental health? I suppose.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it really is just a lifeline for them. Like connecting with their families back who they haven't seen in seven years. Um, also, you know with their friends outside a lot of us go outside the blockade and we just stand by the window and we talk over the phone and just keeping that connection yeah um it's everything like first of all it's already like imagine just us having our phones taken away right? totally so but to be locked up and having your phones taken away and a lot of the times you know um the only times we knew how circle guards were treating them was because they filmed it and a lot of the times we knew about how abusive yeah the security stuff are was because people filmed it for transparency and accountability
0: would you say do you think that the reason the government is trying to take their phones is so that there isn't that accountability do you think that's the the purpose of this
1: yeah because I mean, technically, uh, if they wanted to, they already can confiscate things that they think are harmful or dangerous. So this kind of just puts like a blanket ban on phone, almost like a blanket ban on phones, if you take it. And the only reason we have refugee solidarity was because of our connection. And we talk, we organize together, we go on Zoom calls, you know? Yeah. And how are we- and the reason we're so effective because we are led and by people who know the system, which are the guys inside. There's totally. so many things that I don't know, but because they've been in the system for seven, eight years, then uh, it's just centering their voices. Like we can hear them, we see them. All we need to do is listen and to act. And it's very difficult to do that if they take out away the phones.
0: Yeah. Um... Do you think that they're going to be able to pass this ban? Can you talk about this at the moment or is it too like active? Like um, would you rather not?
1: Yeah, it's moving every like hour or so. The last thing I heard was that it did pass on the lower House of Representatives, but um, I don't know what happened. Maybe they didn't have time, but it'll be in the next sitting, which is in four weeks if it goes right. through this Senate. And it, essentially it comes down to Jackie Lambie because they're an independent or something.
0: Okay, is that scary? I I don't yeah.
1: Do yeah, I because I was like, oh, well, I better look up Jackie, and oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> in two thousand fifteen, she wanted to reintroduce the death penalty. So
0: oh I was my like, god, oh, no! That's a worry. That's such a worry. Yeah, such a such a a worry.
1: worry. <laughs> I think people maybe because they're based in Tasmania and they tend to listen to people there so i guess i'm hoping people in tasmania are trying to push jackie to do the right thing
0: god i hope so there's some good people in tasmania i've got some friends down there i'll talk i'll talk to them about it
1: jackie yeah i
0: will i will um hey just on that as well um and like on talking about direct action and stuff as well i feel like there might be people listening to this who are like ah, cool like i'd love to do more and get more involved um Obviously, RSM is, is the organization that you're sort of like a spokesperson for. Um, and, but yeah, d- would you be able to just tell people what they should do? And like if, if people are listening to this thinking, fuck, I really want to help refugees, you know, in Brisbane or there's, there's people in, in Melbourne in a similar hotel, I think. Um, yeah, the mantra, yeah. Um, wh- what should people do if they want to yeah, do more yeah. than just signing a petition?
1: Yeah, if you are in Brisbane, first thing you do is just show up. Um, every day, the men the men are still outside the balcony at 4.30, and they still do their peaceful protests. And we really value, like, deeply relational organizing. So just talk to the person next to you. Ask them why they're there. Everyone's quite friendly and wants to, you know, help and share stories. We also have, like, on our Facebook events, our workshops on how to do um, – to be a police liaison or legal briefings, do violent direct action. So act very tangible workshop to upskill people and feel empowered um to do um whatever they want. Cause I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we wait for instructions and just not willing to be defiant enough to think, oh like I can just do something. Yeah. Love it. Yeah.
0: I think that's so important. I'm gonna I'll put all the details for all RSM's social media and everything in the description for this episode. Um cool. I'm gonna let you go. I know you're so busy. This has been so lovely. Thank you so much for talking to me, Dane. Thank
1: you. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. Have a good
0: one. See ya. Bye, mate. So that was my chat with Dane DeLeon. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Like I said, I forgot to ask her her recommendation. She texted me afterwards saying that she wanted to recommend Mojo Juju, who's such a sick musician. Um, If you've heard of her uh, music, it's crazy. She's got a song um, called Native Tongue, which is such a cool song. I'll post that in the description for the podcast um and watch the film clip because it's really cool it's got these these guys um from this group called Jukimala which is like a I guess they're like a dance group um and they, they tour the world uh and they're really good at dancing and they're in the film clip and it's just such a sick film clip so check it out um and I'll I'll see you next week for another episode have a good one bye